welcome back to Contrast, where Josh and I will compare and contrast our artistic journey, creative process, and philosophies on art making. So today, we are going to dive deeper into Josh's story of how he became the artist that he is today, his history and training and journey up to this point. Excellent. I guess. I don't know if it's that thrilling. It is. That's why we're doing a podcast. <laughs> okay, awesome. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so what do you want me to talk about? Well, talk about growing up first. Um, what was your relationship with art as a kid? Okay, that's a good question. Well, starting off at the beginning, growing up, I think like most people, I drew pretty much all the time. Um, maybe not all the time, but any time that I was inside. Josh, I don't think that's what every kid does. <laughs> like drawing all the time if they're inside. Drawing all the time inside. Yeah, I guess so. It's just so often you hear, like you ask an artist, when do they start drawing? And they'll say, oh, I've always drawn. I think that's true for me as well, at least at the beginning. But then things kind of went sideways for a little while with it. What do you mean? I always drew growing up in Kenya. You know, we moved when I was in third grade and I did art classes and it was kind of fun, but it was always a little bit, I don't know, I guess kind of strained for some reason. Like the, the teachers... Okay, so just as a timeline, Josh was born in Kenya and he lived there until you were nine? Yeah. And then moved to Lubbock, Lubbock Texas, Texas for three years? Yep. And then to Portland, Oregon? Yep. For the rest of his growing up? Yes. And then in middle school and high school, I did art some in high school, but it was the same thing where I wanted to learn how to draw and my teachers, the teacher kept saying, you can do this better than me. And so I don't know what to teach you. The teacher said you were a better artist than they were? Yeah. That's annoying. That's annoying. Yeah. Because you can still learn from anyone. So that was high school. Okay. So that was high school. Um, when you entered college, did you know you wanted to be an artist? Okay. When I went into college, I actually didn't not have the idea of that I was going to be an artist. I was going to be a missionary of some sort um, or going to the ministry of, in some way. So Josh's parents were missionaries and then ministers like in the States and a lot of his family have become ministers in one way or another. So it's definitely like in his, in his family culture, in his blood. Yep. So I was a Bible major at one university um, then I transferred to Harding, which is where Bethany and I met. And there I was a Bible and Ministries major and Biblical Languages double major. Halfway through my junior year, that I decided to double major in Bible and Ministry and Art. You know, kind of it was a, I do feel like I have a gift in this and I want to pursue it. And I feel like God has given me the gift. And so I should pursue it. And it would be kind of dishonoring to that gift if I didn't pursue it in some way. So I thought I'll do a, a double major and go ahead and do art as well. So I got a BA, Bachelor's of Art in Art, in 2008. And I felt like I didn't really quite have enough and I thought I wanted to pursue more. So I went back in, I re-enrolled and got a Bachelor's of Fine Art in Painting. So I did that 
graduated again and still felt like didn't quite have what I wanted. You mean in terms of skill and training? Yeah. Didn't have what you wanted? Okay. Yeah. It's like I, I had ideas in my head. I had concepts that I wanted to draw or paint, and I had no idea or didn't have the skill to do that, to execute it. So I wanted to find some more training that would really push me to the best that I could be. Okay. So just as a fun detail here, um, while Josh and I were at Harding, he already said that's where we met. We were art majors together. Um, she thought I was lazy. I thought he was lazy. He wouldn't <laughs> turn in projects. <laughs> uh, it's true. Everyone knew he was the best artist in every class kind of thing. It's like I was good, but he was kind of just strange, strangely good. Um, I was a good student rule follower. I turned in every project on time, did a good job. He didn't turn in half his projects or he turned them in late. And I was like, <laughs> this guy is lazy. What? Like, I just didn't understand. And... Um, we were at slightly different places. One of my teachers, the pottery teacher, said I was a waste of talent because <laughs> I didn't turn in projects. It was very sad. Yeah, Josh had kind of a bad attitude about pottery, but that teacher was kind of eccentric. Oh, by bad too. attitude, meaning I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I had so much fun, but he thought I was having too much fun. So Too much fun. <laughs> too much fun. We didn't get along somehow. I just think that teacher had very particular ideas about art. And if a student didn't agree with him, then maybe they didn't get along. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never took pottery in, in any time. So now you teach it. Well, you did. And now year. I teach it. Kind of. I did for a year. Also, during that time, Josh was kind of leading some different mission type organizations. We were both involved in the missions like department and world at Harding. And so that's where I really got to know him. And I really admired his leadership there. Um, I just thought he was kind of lazy in art classes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were friends. We liked each other on and off through college, but we never dated. We never really... We never liked each other at the same time. Yeah. It was unfortunate. He liked one of my best friends. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but who knew it would work out like 12 years later. That's all history in the past. Yeah, we'll we'll tell pieces of that story probably. Okay, Josh. So, after Harding, you wanted more training um and you ended up at Florence Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Um so describe that. Describe Florence Academy. Describe that training and how you grew there. Okay. So, after getting the BFA, that's when I really decided that I wanted to actually pursue this as a career and make it my lifelong pursuit. So I got in the internet and just looked around and said, what's the best realist schools in the world? And just, let's just shoot for the moon. I don't remember who said it, but some author said, if you shoot for the moon and you miss, at least you'll still be in the stars. So I thought, that sounds great. I'll just shoot for the best. Which is see. just so inaccurate scientifically or astronomically. <laughs> but it's a nice, sorry, it's a poetic idea. I should yeah. 
<laughs> so I ended up finding two schools in Florence. One was called Angel Academy and the other Florence Academy. So I applied to both. Um, long story short, I ended up getting into the Florence Academy, but I actually went to the Swedish campus first, which was quite a shock to get my acceptance letter in the mail from the Florence Academy of Art and said, you've been accepted into Mondal, Sweden. Fantastic. I thought, all I know about this Swedish country is that they have banks. And then I realized that's Switzerland. <laughs> so you actually knew nothing about it. I didn't know hardly anything about it. But then I very quickly remembered and found out, was reminded by my dad that Granberg is Swedish. My great-grandfather ran away from Sweden. So I thought, great, this will be kind of cool. I was the first Granberg to return to Sweden after he ran away. Exciting. So that was very exciting. So I get to Sweden and I start out the first day. Um, I'm with all the first year students. You know, they kind of break it up. You know, kind of like you think of like Harry Potter, you have first years and second years and third years and stuff like that. So I was first years. I was this tiny little dude on the, on the totem pole. And we all thought we were hot stuff. So they teach us how to draw what's called a Charles Barg drawing, where you do a copy. So they told us how to do it. Did they give you any instruction? Yeah, they gave us probably an hour or so of instruction, which is basically you do what's called sight size. So you tape your drawing up on your board with your paper next to it, and you just do a one-to-one -one copy, do an exact copy of this guy's drawing, Charles Barg. So it's up vertically on an easel. Correct. They draw standing up. Yeah. And the way that the structure of the school is you have three hours in the morning where you're in the studio working on a very specific exercise. Then you have lunch. Then you have three hours in the model room. Then you have dinner. And then you have two hours in the evening. And the evening lesson changes depending on the day. So you're in school for 10 hours a day, five, sometimes six days a week. So I start my Barg drawing and I work on it for a couple hours and teacher comes in and I'm thinking this is looking really good. I'm proud of it. I'm almost done. And he gets up there and he looks at it for a while and then says, okay, you're doing pretty well, but I need you to erase the entire thing and start over, but you can keep the paper. And he said, I was the only student who got to keep the paper. Everyone else had to throw the paper away. So he said, be proud of that. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Fantastic. I am in the right place. <laughs> you were glad about that, I right? was. I was thrilled because comparing that to my first day in drawing class at Harding, had a wonderful teacher, love her to death. Um, but she had the first day she had us draw a grayscale, nine-step grayscale. So I did that, turned it in the next day. And that day she holds it up and says, who's Josh Granberg? I raised my hand. She says, why are you in this class? This is better than I can do. It's like, great. I don't know. Why am I spending thousands of dollars learning from someone who doesn't think they can teach me? Great. So comparing that to Florence Academy, I was like, fantastic. This is the place I want to be. He told me I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. So that's that was my first day of Florence Academy. And it was really great. And then the hard work started and man, they absolutely beat you up. You know, in America, it's that the teachers will pat you on the back and do anything that they can to help you succeed. And over there it was, we'll do anything we can to make you fail so that if you do succeed, we'll be proud of you. 
And it was rough. I mean, every week there'd be someone in the bathroom just bawling because of a tough critique. Or the the program is very, very structured. Um, They teach you drawing first, accuracy, and then value, and then color. And that takes three years of doing that. You know, you very quickly get your 10,000 hours within that time frame. What does that 10,000 hours mean? Explain that. Well, it's actually a misquote from a guy named Michael Gladwell who wrote a book called Outliers, who misquoted a guy named Eric St. Anderson, I think was his name. Anyways, he said that in order to be a, a... professional at something, you had to have 10,000 hours of practice in order to reach that highest level. Like a level of mastery. Level of mastery. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in Sweden for two years and I got through the drawing program in Sweden and then took one semester off and came back to the States for a little while to work and get a bit more money to pay for school and then transferred down to Florence for the last ended up being two years. Uh, The program's supposed to be three, but almost no one makes it in three. It usually takes longer. Um, So I did it in three and a half, and I was there an extra semester. So when did you feel like you were really starting to improve? Was that immediate? Probably four months into the program. (laughs) That's not very immediate. But the world there just functions so much slower. And you work for, you know, that first... Charles Bark drawing. I thought I could do it in two hours. Ended up taking a week and a half. And that's 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week. So 30 hours to do this one copy that I thought was going to take an hour or two or maybe three. So the level that they require is so incredibly high that it just takes a long time to acquire those skills. So isn't it like a progressive system where you don't move on, like you might stay at the same level or project until you reach mastery of it and then you move on. So everyone's not moving forward at the same rate. What is is. the percentage of people who make it all the way through? Um, My first year in Florence and Sweden, there were about 140 students and there were 18 that graduated. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> they whittled it down very quickly. <laughs> so in America, we take pride in like this 100% graduation rate. There it's like, it sounds like they take pride in a very low graduation rate. Yeah, I don't know if, I mean, it's a little bit unfair to say that they try to make you fail. They don't. They really do care. It's like boot camp. If you can't do it, you just can't do it. Talk about life a little bit, just briefly. Like Life. Life in Sweden and then life in Florence. So life in Sweden. Sweden is a beautiful country, but it is extremely cold and extremely dark. Um, And there's, I don't know, I don't want to talk about culture, I guess, a whole lot more. This is about my art development. So that first term was terrible. It was so incredibly hard. Um, Physically, emotionally, artistically in every way imaginable. So like Bethany said, before I went to Florence, I had been working out and gotten strong. Um, And that first term, three months, I lost 40 pounds. (laughs) My beard went gray. 
in three months. And I mean, it was intense. When I got back at Christmas, I mean, people were just shocked. And I was in shock. The first year, really, they spent a lot of time on you, you spend a lot of time unlearning what you've learned. That's a very difficult and challenging. The skill development that they taught there was at a completely different level. And I don't want to badmouth Harding. There's a lot of things I learned at Harding that they just don't teach at Florence Academy or that they even teach better at Harding, um, like art history, um, visual aesthetics. It was much better at Harding than it was at, in Florence Academy. So it's not, you know... One school is completely in every way better than the other. They're, they're different. So Florence Academy is skill development. Harding is a much more rounded, artistic education. So that spring semester, um, about halfway through, I really thought I was going to quit. I thought, I, I can't do this. This is too hard. But luckily, my dad was going to come over and visit for spring break. And I think that was the only reason I even stayed. So I stayed in Sweden for another year. Wait, can I interject this story? Because yeah. it's kind of fun. Um, so Josh mentioned that his great-grandfather, right, ran yep. away from Sweden. His great-grandfather ran away from Sweden when he was 14. Yep, 14. Um, because his father, who was a pres- Lutheran, Lutheran, Lutheran minister. minister, was abusive, apparently enough that his 14-year-old son got on a boat and crossed the world to get away from him. But that's how the Granbergs... I said it was a fun story. It sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That's how the Granbergs ended up in America. And here we are. Yep. So when my dad went over there, we found the town that he was in um, and where my great-grandfather was minister and found the parish and found his house and a photo of him on the wall. And look, just like my dad. It was so startling. Stan has an awesome nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stan is Josh's dad. Yeah. It's the Granberg nose. But it was really, really fun. And we kind of, we talked to the new, um, I don't know what you call them, parish run, I don't know. Like the minister? Yeah, the minister there. Okay. So we talked to her and set it up to when, to bring my grandfather and grandma over and tour the place. So my grandpa and grandma and uncle and his family ended up coming over as well. And we, they drove up there and grandpa got to see where his dad was from. That was really special. That was Aww, a lot of fun. That's cool. Okay, sorry. Back to, back to the Florence Academy. So you transferred to Florence. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? And what was it like? Um, I wanted to get as much experience as I could, and it, I felt like it'd be kind of unfortunate to go to the Florence Academy of Art and not having studied in Florence. Um, and also Florence, you know, every artist wants to go study in Florence. So I yeah. thought, yeah, let's do it. And it is well worth it. It is incredible. It's kind of interesting. My first impression of Florence was this place is tiny and a little bit dirty. And But man, the longer you're there, the beauty of it is just incredible. And it is tiny. You, know, I could, you can walk across it from end to end of the old town in about an hour, walking, the whole thing. So it is very, very small. But when you're doing that, like 
from my apartment to the studio, I walked across the Ponte Vecchio, which was built in like 972 or something ridiculous like that. It was destroyed and then rebuilt in the 1300s. But that, that bridge and just the sculptures and everything and art is so alive there. So to study there was absolutely incredible. And it's warm and the food is affordable, right? Yeah, Sweden is so expensive. I have Raynaud syndrome, so my fingers and toes lose circulation and get cold really easily. So Josh's stories about Sweden just <laughs> make me cringe and make me want to protect my cold toes. So what was the rest of your training in Florence? So in Florence, um, like I said, I finished the drawing program in Sweden, so I was entering into the painting program in Florence. And the way the painting program works is they start with just what's called grisaille, which is basically black and white, but you still deal with temperature shifts. So you have kind of a cold gray and a warm gray, but it's still a black and white painting. So you start with that just to get a mastery of values in a different medium. And then you are introduced to a limited color palette. So quick definition, value in art means light versus dark, like how so, light or dark. So then you do, you're introduced to a limited color palette, which is only three colors, the three primaries, but in earth tones. So you have a dark, dark blue, which is ivory black. Ivory black, if you add white to it, is actually really, really, really cold. It's basically blue. So that was your blue. Then you had... Uh, yellow and a red and white. So you have four pigments that you use. What were the yellow and red and white? Just the names of them? Uh, titanium white, ivory black, yellow ochre, and English red. English red. English red. Is it kind of a brownish red? Mm. You said earth towns. Tones? Tones. <laughs> earth towns. Towns. It's a darker, earthier red. Okay. <laughs> Um, so that's what you do some still lifes with. And then also working from the figure, so you're doing live figure model paintings with those same colors as well. And then also portraits. So you, you can do an incredible amount of, like the, the, the amount of color you can get from just those three colors is incredible. And with the three primaries, you can mix most colors as well. Why limit it? Because painting is so challenging in general that it's, you're dealing with, all of art is made up of three things. You have drawing, which is the actual shape of an object. You have value, and then you have color. And so that's how they teach you in the Florence Academy. It's a three-year program dealing with drawing, value, and color. And when you're doing a color painting, every brushstroke has all three aspects in one brushstroke. It has value, it has drawing, it has color. And so there's so many things you have to pay attention to that you really want to limit what you're using to express yourself so that you can really master what you're doing. So just reducing the number of decisions you're making. And it gives a very unified... One of the best artists that's known for pretty much always working in a limited color palette is a guy named Anders Zorn, Z-O-R-N. Um, if you look up his stuff... It's incredibly unified, very clean color and clean values. Um, but there's inc an incredible amount of color range that he's able to get with just those three colors. There is a lot of translation that takes place. 
because you obviously can't. It's called your your gamut range is very narrow. You can't reproduce everything that you see in nature, so you do have to do a lot of translation from what you see onto your painting. Um, but in doing that, it often makes your painting much better. When you say better, <laughs> your painting is going to be better. Do you just mean that it will be unified or do you mean something else too? There's just far too much for a student to be able to control. Mm -hmm. um, and so your painting will be very disjointed mm -hmm. and will look very, I'll, I'll use the word naive. And I don't necessarily mean that as a, a slam or a negative thing. Naive art can be very beautiful. But naive just means no not academically trained. There's some vernacular that is difficult to communicate. Even for about a semester and a half, one of my teachers kept saying, kept using the phrase, what we're doing is life drawing. And I thought, you know, life drawing means you're drawing a live model. And so they'd come around and give you a critique and say, well, the arm needs to be moved like that. And I would say, well, they moved their arm. And she would say, well, then move your drawing. And I'd never understood. It took four months of the teacher saying, I know, but this is life drawing. And finally, the penny dropped. And she was saying, the drawing is alive. The reason you're drawing from a live model is not the model is alive. It's your drawing needs to constantly change depending on what the model is doing. And then once you learn how the model moves, how they rest their weights or their leg or whatever, you can see that, then you can choose the stance that you think is the most beautiful. And you've drawn them so many times up to that point because your drawing is alive and moving that you can choose what you want and make it as beautiful as you want. And so you're not copying nature, you're learning. So even that phrase, Live drawing took me four months to figure out what she was actually meaning. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to episode one, you might want to go back and listen. Josh explains kind of the philosophy of classical realism and like what they're trying to do. Okay, Josh, we need to wrap up, but any other major takeaway or memory from Florence Academy? It was really, really hard and one of the best things I've ever done. When I left, I felt like I had the technical ability to paint or draw anything that I could dream up, could think of. And that was their goal, was to say, we want to remove all the technical barriers between your imagination and creativity and what you can actually then produce. So if you can master your technique to a place where that is not limiting what you can create, then that's where you want to be. And I felt like I, I left close to that, at least to on a, that precipice of being a professional artist that could freely and effortlessly create from my imagination, from my thoughts and heart and emotion. And then it's figuring out what that is. <laughs> What's the depth of who you are? And that's, I think, what art is about, is exploring who you are, the depth of who you are and figuring out the way that you can communicate and like your voice. Yeah. It's your voice. Mm -hmm. Your art becomes your voice to express yourself to the world. 
And I think that's where I'm at now is figuring out what do I want to say? Yeah. What am I going to speak? What am I going to create? Um, and it's still a, a journey I'm on right now. So Josh has said, I think, that did your teachers say this or did you just say this, that at Florence Academy, they're not teaching you to make art. They're teaching you technical skills so that you can make art. Um, I think I reduced it to that simple of a phrase, okay. but they definitely, that was what they were teaching and they would in longer and eloquently say the same thing. Okay. So we will definitely probably, not definitely, probably. <laughs> definitely, probably. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Um, Most assuredly. In future episodes, we'll get more into other aspects of like Josh's or both of our style and philosophies now and like ways that Josh might deviate from Florence Academy. Yeah. But that is just his history. And, and I would say, you know, you asked about what's a, a big takeaway. I think... One of the big takeaways from Florence Academy is realizing and choosing to always be a student of art. You're never going to arrive. You're never going to make it. You know, we talk about, I want to be a master. Well, mastery will come the day before you die, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just you are always, There's always a room student. To grow. There's always room to grow. And art is about learning. In the next episode, I'm going to be interviewing Bethany about her journey through art. So yeah. definitely tune into that one. It'll be a definite and enjoyable contrast. <laughs> yeah, very different than this one. Okay, next time. Okay.